Chicago. It's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. What's up, everyone? My name is Raj Nation, founder and chief pitch artist at Startup Hype Man, where we help startups not suck at how they pitch themselves. How? By making sure their audience sees them not as the best, but as the only. And this podcast is the only show where you will hear from leaders in the startup ecosystem sharing a piece of their heart, their mind, and their story on how they are charting their own path, growing their companies, and choosing not to play the game, but to change the game. Before we get going, hit the subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. Also, head over to StartupHypeMan.com and subscribe to our Point of View letter, where we share original articles, insights, and resources all to help you become the only of your industry. All right, get your popcorn ready and get hyped. It's showtime. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the microphone from Kuwait and currently residing in Dubai. He is the co-founder of Boast and Traction. Please welcome. Lloyd Lobo. <laughs> I love it, man. Thanks for having me. This is probably the best intro I've ever had. And I speak at a lot of events and on a lot of podcasts. Kudos to you. This is a fantastic opening. <laughs> I can't be the hype man and not give not bring the hype when you come on to my show, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well said. All right. Like I mentioned, he is Lloyd Lobo from both Boast and Traction. He has done a lot, accomplished a lot. Boast being a platform that offers alternative lending opportunities to startups. He's been able to bootstrap Boast to eight figures in revenue, after which then raising over $123 million from investors. He's also built up the community of Traction. They have the annual Traction Conference. They have monthly events. Uh, that community has been built up to over 100,000 entrepreneurs at this point, and their annual conference sees the likes of Shopify, Twilio, Atlassian, and so many others, both big and small, who attend to learn about how they can continue to grow and scale their companies. Now, if there's one thing amongst the many things that Lloyd has been able to be successful at over the years, if there's one thing I feel like he can talk about in terms of mastery, it is community-led growth. Lloyd, once again, welcome to the show. Community-led growth. Why is this on your mind? Why is it important to you? Community is the present and the future of business, man. And if you look at it, right, third-party cookies and cooking people and interruption-based marketing, you go to a website, you're interjected by a pop-up to click the cookie, then you're interjected by some offer and a chatbot. Like that I call interruption-based marketing. And if you build a community, you won't become a commodity. That's my philosophy in life. So if you look at it, yesterday's innovation always becomes today's option and tomorrow's commodity, right? You had the GPS. It was a big innovation. You can get your hands on it. Then it became an option. And today you have Apple CarPlay and Android CarPlay. But if you build a community, you won't become a commodity. Your community, you can use to build relationships with, to party with, to network with, but also they give you product feedback. They're rooting for you to become successful. So my motto in life from childhood has been community-based. My, my first interaction with community happened as a refugee of the Gulf War. 
I was uh, what nine year old, eight year old kid, just finished my exams. And, you know, I usually studied last minute for the exams. I'd, I'd study in the morning, go for the exam. I show up to an exam thinking it's math and it was geography. And I'm like, I'm going to fail this thing. Like it's over. I'm failing. Geez, imagine like failing your fourth or fifth grade. I can't remember. <laughs> and then the summer hit. And one um, summer morning, my mom wakes me up, I think a week before school was to start. And she's like, I don't think you guys are going to be able to go back to school. The Gulf War just happened. And I'm like, yes, my parents are never going to find out <laughs> that I failed that exam. But then when it sank in, I realized, man, the currency was invalid. The stress on my parents' face, you, you lost everything. Pretty much the security had lapsed in the country. And that was a time where there were no cell phones. There was no internet. So people would come down the building and look at each other and then say, hey, we got to do something about it. And then the community as a whole came together to evacuate the people from that country. That was the first experience with the power of community. And effectively, what is community, right? Like, how does it start? One person raises their hand, there's a problem. Other people say, yes, there's a problem. Let's do something about it together. And they further that cause. Um, with, when it comes to business, if you apply this concept, you're not only going to build a longstanding brand and raving fan, but you will sustain, build a sustainable growth channel for the long haul. I'll give you an example. You've heard of HubSpot, right? Of course. Yep. Yeah. A 40, $30, $40 billion company. I was an engineer some 15 years ago, started in product at a startup. And you know, when you work at a startup, you got to do everything. So I needed to do digital marketing. And at the time, I think this was 2005 or six. Everyone was offline marketing. There wasn't much digital marketing. So everything I learned about digital marketing was through HubSpot, HubSpot's inbound marketing. They didn't have no software. They started creating community and knowledge around inbound marketing. And today now HubSpot's like a 30 or $40 billion company. At its peak, it was $40 billion company, right? And they, they came up with this concept of building community around inbound marketing, helping people become digital marketers. Harley-Davidson is another example. The company went almost bankrupt in the 80s and then rebuilt the, the, the company around the ethos of community. Their managers went out in the communities and created writer clubs, and now they're writer festivals. People wear Harley gear as a badge of honor. They, drive, they ride the bikes. They have rallies. And it's, it's an iconic brand. So I fundamentally believe community is a big moat for your business. If you do it right, if you focus on helping your audience, your community members, your tribe, becoming successful, becoming uh, uh, sort of getting to their aspirations and goals without any selfish wants or needs for yourself and the business follows, right? Ultimately, people are the driving force behind real change and impact, not products and technologies, right? Customers buy an outcome. They don't buy software. And so if you help them become successful, and you build a community around it, you will sustain for the long haul. And there's so many examples of this, right? Even movements like Mahatma Gandhi or Martin Luther King right. to iconic brands, Harley Davidson, Nike, Reddit, Notion, HubSpot, so many more. They've built enormous followings and brought about massive impact in their industries by building these communities. And, and one of the biggest reasons, like I started with that is, 
a lot of marketing is focused on ad spend, for example, right? Like companies like Facebook and, and Google have made a lot of money on this. But if you notice, well, one, third-party cookies is get going out, right? Third-party data is going out next year. Two, it costs almost twice as much to squeeze the same ad ROI from the same channels year over year. Like that ad spend goes up and up. It adds, advertising spend becomes like a drug. Other traditional marketing techniques like outbound, you're probably getting bombarded by so many people on email and LinkedIn, right? Aren't you? Yeah, oh, every day. <laughs> you know, it's novel when somebody figures out a new marketing tactic, right? When, it, when marketers talk, it turns into noise, right? It's not innovative anymore. Yeah. And so with marketing channels reaching a saturating point, it's so easy now to build software, right? Third-party tools like Bubble and um, no-code tools. You can just spin up a SaaS software and copy something. So product features are starting to differ very little. A community can become your greatest asset by sort of, you know, your, your acquisition channel, product feedback mechanism, brand differentiator, retention, effectively a force multiplier for your business and also stand, stand you out in a, in a fragmented market. And that's, that's what I've seen at Boast. I've seen with a lot of companies that are leaders in the space, whether it's HubSpot or Gainsight or Harley-Davidson, what they've done, the mechanics behind it. And it's a true, true force multiplier because ultimately people buy from people, man. And if people love you and they're getting value from you, but you're, you're orchestrating connections with each other, uh, with your community members between them, then they're raving about you too, right? That was a extensive introduction. Thank you for going through all of that. And you hit on a lot of points I'll end up asking questions about anyways. We will go more into community-led growth in just a few minutes. Before we get deeper into that, let's learn a little bit more about Lloyd, the person. Now, Lloyd, you mentioned during that introduction that your first experience with community was as a refugee of the Gulf War. Now, community uh, exposure aside, uh, I'm curious if you can actually talk about... Let me, let me reframe that. Talk about how you actually did experience community as a refugee of the Gulf War. Definitely. So as a refugee of the Gulf War, when I looked around, it was chaos. It was chaos and worry, fear, uncertainty, doubt. And, uh, you know, every apartment building pretty much ended up becoming a sub-community in a way, right? There was no phones. There was no internet. So a bunch of people would come down and watch my parents. My dad went down. Somebody, friend's dad went down and they're like, oh, you know, it's chaos. What do we do? And they're like, the first thing is, you know, who has access to what resources? And my dad worked in a hotel. So he's like, oh, I can supply food and water. Somebody else had something, some other uh, resource they could bring to the table. And they're like, okay, one of the prime things is we need security. So people would then orchestrate um, and strategize on who would bring what, who would stand downstairs to secure the building for what hours and whatnot. So that community came together. Ultimately, every building started coordinating with other people because then you go out and be like, hey, I'm, mm. I'm the leader of this sub-community. Somebody else is like, I'm here. And they're like, oh, maybe we should, we, should, we should figure a way to coordinate buses and shelter for people who are homeless to get out of this country. And ultimately, there was actually a movie made on this, a, a Bollywood movie called Airlift on this whole movie, huh. on how that community came together to evacuate the people from Kuwait to safety. And so that was my experience. He's like, dude, there's no phones. There's no internet. 
there's nothing. And people came together grassroots to say, hey, there is a problem here. This is how I can help. This is how I can help towards a common goal of bringing, of, of protecting the people and evacuating them. Now, when we think about community, I think just at like a geographic level, technically, you know, there's community at the country level, then the state level, then the city, then the neighborhood or village, and then like the block level. And then within that, you've got micro communities of like how people associate and group themselves. But I think the smallest form of community is actually like family, right? Your family community, your, your relationship with your direct family. Now, given that experience, how do you feel that helped shape or impact the relationship you had with your parents and your parents had with you? You know, one of the things I learned early on, and then, you know, you sort of unlearn or forget those key lessons when you become an entrepreneur and then you learn it again the hard way is it's not the people, it's not the money in your bank, but the people around your tombstone that matter the most. Life and business is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And a lot of what you become is not about the destination you're seeking. You know how people say, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. Mm-hmm. And I say, it's, it's neither the journey nor the destination, but it's the people, it's the companions that matter the most. And so when I was on that rickety bus during the Gulf War that went from Kuwait to Baghdad to Jordan to get out, people were stressed, right? Currency is invalid, don't know where I'm going. But there were smiles on everyone's face. They were playing the guitar, they were singing. One of our camps they were on almost burned down right before, right after people got together and playing music, right? And, and when you look around those faces, you think to yourself, it is neither the destination nor the journey, but the companions, because who cares? You're on a shitty journey on the way to hell. Great companions make it memorable. Not neither the journey nor the destination, but the companions. That's powerful. And I will change, I I will change that. It's the community that matters the most. (laughs) Let's fast forward. Now you get into entrepreneurship can you talk about how Boast Capital comes together in the first place? And then from there, how do you get the idea for traction? Definitely. So my co-founder and I at Boast were best friends. We went to college together. That's where I met him. We were partners in every project. After university, he got into Johnson & Johnson's engineering leadership program, built software there, then did a startup that failed, felt he needed to study accounting because that's, that's, that was his lacking point. He studied accounting and ended up in um, at, at a big four accounting firm, which helped with government incentives and research and development tax credits, all these incentives. And the problem with these incentives, globally, trillions, hundreds of billions of dollars are given in innovation incentives to fund businesses. But with anything government, it's a cumbersome application process. It's prone to frustrating audits, and it takes a long time to get the money. After engineering, I worked in product and growth. And one day Alex calls me and he said, man, we should do something in this, uh, in this space. And I'm like, he has domain knowledge. I have GTM knowledge. And, you know, the best way to build something successful is having an overlap of, of skills that you're in the top, you feel you're in the top 10. And I'm like, you know what? 
It's done by traditional accounting firms, right? So you take that and he is very, very skilled at that. And I come from a product and GTM background. If we combine that, you know, we'll smash that market because it'll be, we'll be 10x better, faster, cheaper, right? The thing is at the time I was at another startup and that startup was the epitome of hustle porn. Have you heard of this term? Of hustle course, porn? of course. Yeah, like working 24-7, raise lots of money, burn out. And I used to be in the office till 9, 10 o'clock every day. My wife was a resident at the time. Um, and so she was working crazy hours as an ER resident. And so one day I started going home at like 6. And I get an email from the CEO. He says, oh, you know what? I used to like it when in the office. I used to like... Literally for a few days, I started going home at six. But anyway, his email was, I, I used to like it when you were in the office till late nine. Uh, I'm a little worried that you're going home early. What, what's happening? My parents were in town. That's why um, you know, I was going home early. And that day, I, when Alex called me, he's like, we should start a company together. I literally cried, man. I'm like, I don't give a crap what we build. As long as we create a culture that we want to work for, I'm in. And so we started Boast, but at the same time, we worked on a couple other projects. We, we, did a, we tried to build a community called Cloud Factory, which evolved into Traction. We built a chatbot called um, Automatically. It was a, sort of like, uh, it was similar to an intercom chatbot, but before intercom, none of them were popular, mm -hmm. or I hadn't known of them. And it was, it, would, it was built on top of Zendesk. It would look at inbound queries and automatically respond like a real human. This is 2013, 14, right? Wow. Chatbot concept didn't exist. Right. Those all failed. Uh, and then I worked with, um, with, a, with a team with, that was incubated by Bessemer Ventures to build um, an AI tool for sales. It was called Speakeasy. It was, it would, before the call, it would tell you everything about the meeting coming up during the meeting, it would guide you what to say and how to sell. And after the meeting, it would automatically update your CRM and tell you who to follow up with and when. So I worked on a few projects at the same time uh, or at different parts through that journey. And then around 2017, we realized we had this boast, right? Um, it was called Boast Capital at the time. It was running like a consulting operation where we would help companies get these government incentives. And, and we were like chasing tech products, right? We never thought we were sitting on this gold mine. We we're chasing tech products like, oh, let's you know, build automatically chatbot and let's build AI for sales. We're chasing all these tech things that didn't materialize. And then we realized, hey man, there's hundreds of millions of dollars or hundreds of billions of dollars given in R&D incentives. If we turn this into a tech product, this could be a big business. And we already had clients. And so then the journey of Boast AI started in 2017. We went on this path of making it a tech product. And <laughs> that was the journey. <laughs> and then you basically. ended up making a tech product. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically to make it better, faster, right? And so, you know, a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we chase what's sexy. Oh, let's build the next Slack. Or let's build the next Dropbox, right? Um, Product-led growth it should have uh, you know consumer like adoption those were the words being thrown out when we were doing automatically and and speakeasy and then we realized you don't need to follow the hype or the buzz of the year or the month flavor of the month right ultimately what is success you have an ideal customer profile that has a pain point you deliver them value 
And you keep doing that more and more. And if you do that more and more, better and better, just doing one thing consistently well over time has compound interest and it can become a massive business. And so, you know, now as I advise companies or angel invest, I look for like unsexy ideas. Like what is, how big is the market? What is the pain point, burning pain point they're facing? What are they jangling together because a solution doesn't exist. It doesn't have to be sexy. It doesn't have to be product-led. As long as it's a recurring need in a large target market that is serviced very manually, I think you can build a big business. Let's go deeper into our main topic of conversation today, which is mastering community-led growth. Now, there are a lot of companies I have seen who will say things like, join our community. And they use the word very loosely. And what they honestly mean is like subscribe to our newsletter, right? Like that's like the extent of what they mean. What do you feel in order to actually be a brand that has a community? Like what are the foundational tenets or, or the actual like, you know, bedrock that qualifies as having a community? Definitely. So, you know, you even look at influencers and, um, and, a, and a lot of famous people in general, they use the word community a lot, right? Um, a community is different than having an audience. An audience is one-way communication. You have a leader, you're talking to them, they're subscribed, they're listening. A community is when without the leader, this person-to-person engagement happening between that tribe, that, that group of people, right? So if you host events, if people are engaging amongst each other. So an audience, and, th- and this is where brands get it, get it twisted, the audience is a one-way communication. The community is the leader does not need uh, many, to be present in order for there to be communication. Yeah, it's like a hub and spoke model, right? Like maybe the leader is a hub, but like, People, people are, there's wires between different people, right? The community is engaging with one another with or without the brand. Harley Davidson is a perfect example. What a great example, right? Um, Harley Davidson as a company, their reps are not involved. But you see, how many times you see these weekend warriors donning their Harley gear, hopping on a bike and going? What do you think? There's somebody there that works for Harley? No, that's the perfect example yeah. of community. HubSpot has a great community as well. You see a lot of people coming together around discussing the concept of concepts of inbound marketing and uh, with or without HubSpot as a product. Notion has a great community. Those are more product-focused communities. But ultimately, if people are connecting with each other to solve a particular problem, like to either solve a pain or experience something or um, fulfill an aspiration without the, the sort of leader of that community, I think that is step one. But you know what? Community audience is the first step towards building a community, right? Like if you have people listening to you because they're interested in a topic and they're engaged and they're constantly coming, you have something, you have a start. Now you're like, okay, you know, how do I turn this into a lifelong community, right? How do I turn, how do I drive member, how do I drive audience to audience engagement? And when that happens, and and there's many ways to do it, you can start a Slack group, you can start to hosting events, 
you can do one thing and scale it consistently and, and do that one thing consistently well over time and take it to scale and, and you'll experience that. But generally speaking, if people, if you have an audience, that's a great start. If you have a newsletter, that's a great start. People are, at least, at least you're like, you know what, there's a problem or there's an aspiration and I have X people's ears. Well, now let me go and see if I host a meetup around this topic, how many of them are going to show up? And then try to sustain and do more and more. Then you might find leaders within that because in every community, whether it's Twitter or whether it is Facebook or whether it's Slack, there are the lurkers, which end up being 90% of the people, right? Mm -hmm. There are the contributors, which end up being like 10% of the people. And there's a very, very small people who want the soapbox as well, right? So maybe people like you and me are the guys who are going to organize the rallies. Then there are, there are maybe 10% more in a, in a community of people that also contribute. They speak. They, they provide suggestions. But then the vast majority are just lurkers. They just want to soak in and be out. They don't want to contribute. They don't want to lead. So you got to find that in your audience. So a sort of a crude or a rough breakdown in a community, 90% of the people will be, let's call them lurkers, about 8% will be contributors and 2% will be the, the soapboxers who like take charge. Yeah. One or 2%, right? Yeah. Okay. So, so let's call it one, nine and 90. <laughs> one, nine and 90. Um, let's say a company is getting started. Like they're, they're like, okay, we want to build a community. I think one of the challenges is how do you do so in a way where it's not contrived? Yeah. And that is, that is a big thing, right? When I advise companies, and it's, this is so funny, community is taking center stage at organizations across the world in the last couple of years, right? That's because probably VCs, uh, are driving this. That, oh, you should have a community. Notion has a community. Twilio has a community. Slack has a community. Like, you know, all, all <laughs> these things, like if, if you decipher some of the fastest growing companies that have sustainably been growing over 50%, they have massive communities. So this is like, everyone's now like, hey, you know what? I can't spend on ads. Everything costs money, right? You got to shove more and more money to get an X return. Community is your lowest cost channel. Because it does full funnel, acquisition, retention, customer success, referrals, all of that stuff, right? And so it ends up being a very low-pack channel. And so I think board members and venture capitalists alike are driving that conversation. So I end up talking to a lot of people. The first two questions I get is, I'm interested in building a community. Should I go and start a Slack or Facebook group? And then can my SDRs go and when can my SDRs or when can our sales team start hitting them up? For leads. And I'm like, if you come with that angle of when can I monetize the community, just don't do it. There's, there's faster ways to get, keep, and, and grow customers. Community is a labor of love that takes a long time. Community is a labor of love and a marathon of the mind. It takes a very, very long time. And if you do it with the intention of getting something in return, it's going to come across as being contrived. And you lose that audience, right? So I want to go into how to actually generate more authenticity in the process. Before we get there, I've just got a question for our listeners. As you hear these this conversation around community-led growth, you know, obviously as you're building your company, the community needs to support the product ultimately, or there has to be some 
some way that it's, the community is going to tie back to your product. So what's your product strategy? Do you have your app launched? Great. Is your app sticking in the market? Well, if it's not, you're not alone. If you didn't know, four and five apps that are launched in app stores get deleted after just one use, which is crazy. But I am probably a perfect example of that. I've got like 150 apps or more on my phone and maybe 10 of them get used. Um, So how do you thrive without a profound app development and UX experience in-house? Well, you don't have to be thrown to the wolves. I think that's a phrase. You don't have to be taken to the woodshed. Uh, There's actually a team that'll help you out in validating your concept, uh, designing, developing, launching, and then scaling your app. And that team goes by the name of Mikito. They are the experienced experts that have built over 150 successful products for both startups and enterprises. So really what that means is they have the speed, the agility, the mobility, the flexibility to work at the startup level, but they also have the knowledge, the experience, and the 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 understanding of how to make it work at the enterprise level too. So they know how to not just get your app up, but make sure that it's something that's sticky, that people want it, not just once, but they want to keep using it over and over again. How do you find out if this is the right fit for you? Well, it all starts with a conversation. Just head to Mikito.com slash hype man to get started and just have a conversation with them. That's Mikito.com slash hype man. M-I-Q-U-I-D-O.com slash hype man. Mikito.com slash hype man. Today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast, we've got Lloyd Lobo, and this is our season finale episode, by the way. Uh, in our season finale, we've got Lloyd Lobo from Boast and Traction talking about mastering community-led growth. Now, Lloyd, I'm curious in that effort to not be contrived, not be manufactured, like I'll selfishly ask this question, right? Like I have often thought about building a community or more of a community around Startup Hype Man. Where I have hesitated in really going forth with it is I'm like, does this community of founders need another Slack group, right? They've already, they're already in a bunch of accelerators and and those have their own communities and slack groups within that you know facebook groups are just kind of annoying at this point um but like I, that's my sticking point i'm like do we do, do, is another slack group going to be of value to them so can you talk through like how do you decide what format to create your community in and then how do you make sure that you do so in a way where you don't have 100% lurkers, right? You actually do have people who are actively contributing. Like, What do you have to do on the creator side to make sure that there's, there's activity in the community? Definitely. So I'll give you a framework and then some examples through that, right? The first step is you start with one kind of community. So there's different kinds of communities. When you look at pure products, let's ignore outside of products. There's two types. There's a community of practice, which is you're bringing together people who share the common goal of learning about a specific field, right? So I gave you the example of HubSpot. When they started their community, it was nothing to do with HubSpot. It was about bringing people together to further their knowledge in inbound and digital marketing. The thing that they nailed on was inbound marketing. It was a white space. And so now there's a lot of digital marketing communities, right? And sub-communities and sub-sub-sub-sub-communities. So you got to find the white space. What, what demographic, who is that ideal customer? What stage, what size, what, where do they eat, breathe, drink, sleep? What is that white space 
and you start a community on that white space or that niche that's not being served in a big way, right? So bringing people together first who share the common goal of learning about a specific field, community of practice, I think is a, is a great way to start. Once your product has product market fit and lots and lots of customers, then you can build a space for users to ask questions about your product, share insights with each other and stay connected with the company. And that ends up being a community of product, right? So you can do that much later. So if you're just starting out, I mean, the best way is poll your audience and ask them, right? Hey, what are your biggest challenges? Have you ever experienced XYZ? How are you solving it today? And it'll come out of conversations there. I'll give you an example with Boast. When we started Boast, right, all the companies around were using big four accounting firms to offer the service of getting R&D incentives and innovation funding from the government. And people would just slam the door on us, the phone on us, rather the virtual door on us, right? And so because we were failed founders ourselves, we started hosting meetups, pizza nights, basically. Five, 10 people would show up. It would be off-the-record conversations. And at the time when we started, all the conferences were talking about very high-level aspirational stuff, right? And we said, you know what? This doesn't serve us. This is great to pump us up as entrepreneurs, but I need to know specifically behind the scenes how company got there, how X company got their first 10 customers. How did they make their first key hires? What were the interview questions they asked? How did they raise money? Like all of these things. And nobody was talking about it beyond like big conference aspirational stuff. And this is many, many moons ago when we started in 2014, 15, this community. And so we started hosting pizza nights, kind of like off the record. We would bring a speaker who had been through some success. That speaker would run a masterclass and then five, 10 people would just ask questions and, and sort of round table amongst each other. Now, every time we started hosting those pizza nights, more and more people started showing up. One day, we had 200 people, man, show up in the co-working space. And co-working space said, guys, you can't have this anymore. <laughs> you can't do such big events here, so get out. And then that evolved into a conference. And so we kept our conference roots to the same tactical advice on how to build and scale companies. And so we keep it to 15, 20-minute talks on tactics on how you did X, Y, Z. And then uh, on the first day of our conference, we break that group into an even smaller group of 150 people and do roundtable sessions in the mountains. So it's really important to start with the first thing is, what is the white space you're serving? Yes, there's a, you know, there's a lot of noise, right? So even if you pick entrepreneurship or digital marketing now, there's a lot of noise. What is the white space that's not being serviced? And that's your hypothesis. Now go and talk to your ideal customer profile if, if, to validate that hypothesis if that white space really exists, then start doing activity around it. And there are multiple ways to bring people together. I like events. I feel I like, in fact, I like offline events even better, right? IRL events. Right now, you and me are on sound and sight. Mm -hmm. Anytime you incorporate more than two senses, you start to build stronger connections. Imagine you and I were at a bar doing this, right? Or we were at your house. We'd probably hang out beyond the hour. We'd probably have drinks after and, and we'd probably eat food together. So anytime you incorporate more than two senses, then there's taste, touch, smell beyond the sound and sight. And then mm. we start building stronger connections. We start thinking, build, talking about families and, and where we went to school and where we grew up and things we're passionate about. And 
And then we ended up walking away with, let's meet again, right? That was really interesting. But on the online, typical Zoom, half an hour, one hour, you can't get to that level with everyone. So for me, it was, for us at, at Boast, it was offline events. Now, here's the other thing. We didn't want it to seem contrived. So we didn't call it Boast community. We, we could have called it the Boasters, right? Our employees are our first community. We call them Boasters, but we call it the community Traction. Why? Because traction is an evergreen word and every entrepreneur wants traction. Right. Whether they want boast in that moment or not, it's, it's more of a, it's a name that's focused on them, not focused on you. Exactly. And if you, if you go back to what I started the conversation with, fall in love with your customer, fall in love with your tribe, with your people and make them successful beyond your product or service. And the first step to building an authentic long-term community is falling in love with your with your tribe and making them successful beyond your product or service. I've got two more questions here before we wrap up. The first one um, is about how to actually spark conversation. Because in order for a community to be successful, as you've mentioned, it can't be an audience where it's one way. They have to be able to communicate amongst each other without you being the person talking directly to them. So do you feel it requires for a community to be successful, a dedicated community manager to spark conversation? Because you could bring people together in a Slack group, in a chat room, whatever it might be, in a physical room, but there's not a guarantee that they will actually start talking amongst themselves automatically. Yeah, definitely. Right. So that's why when you're starting out, the founder is the community manager, right? Like, um, you know, it, it, building a community is very much like building a company. You know, when you start a company, um, any startup goes through four phases. Phase one is validation. What are you doing at validation? You're, you're bringing in 10 people to pay you to try it out. Then you're getting to product market fit. Maybe you expand that to 50 customers and you're optimizing for engagement and retention. Then you figure out a repeatable, scalable channel. Then you scale it, meaning you're spending all your energy, 75, 80%, to put fuel on fire and then and 25% maybe trying new things. The same thing with community, right? Um, as a founder, you're doing the validation yourself, whether that's building a product and getting early customers or that's getting early community members. You can't hire a community man- manager if you don't feel the pain of your community members. So whatever you do as a first step, you need to seed it. Right. Another great example is Jason Lemkin. He's the founder of Saster. Before Saster came together as a community, he started to, he used to write Quora questions every single day, maybe two, three times a day. He's been a top Quora writer. He's written thousands of questions and he would answer those questions himself. He would see it himself. Then others would find, have those same questions and then they would go and start writing answers there. And his Quora uh, became so popular that he started then hosting events because he realized that I'm, I'm formulating a community that people is engaging in. So one of the most important things is you need to see it yourself. And then you need to pull and encourage the audience to also interact. And a lot of the times what will happen is now audience members, and I say audience because now you don't really have a community in the early days. It's an audience. They'll have burning questions or they'll need connections. They'll need something. Your goal is to answer that or help them get to an answer as quickly as possible. Because imagine you come into some place 
looking for something and you don't find it, you're going to leave and probably never come back. So it's really, really important to drive the engagement yourself, to seed it yourself in the beginning. And that's why I like in-person events a lot because you can engineer a lot of that when people are in person versus online, right? Like you can't hold a gun to somebody's head when you have a thousand people in a Slack group and it's crickets, <laughs> right? But when you're in person, people are forced to interact. And so I, I love the model of bringing people together in person and then taking it online for the in-between interactions because now there's already familiarity and people can message each other. My last question before we hit our wrap up, you've mentioned brands like Harley, like HubSpot and Saster just now uh, amongst others, Notion. Uh, I'm curious to get your take on Peloton. Do you feel they have built a community by your definition and are they successful in it? Definitely. The, the ones I talked about, Harley, HubSpot, even Saster, they have truly built communities. Anytime members are connecting with one another without the figurehead, you've, you've hit it, man. You've hit it, right? Like, you, you, you know what? I'm in Dubai and I see weekend warriors sporting Harley and driving around. <laughs> There's no figurehead from Harley, right? Mm -hmm. it's, 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 the, it's the love for the joy of riding coupled with uh, their affinity to the brand, right? And their love for the joy of riding always probably existed. Harley just gave, facilitated that and now it's become a cult, right? And if you look at it, everything starts with an audience, right? When audience members interact with one another at scale, it becomes a community. When communities come together for a big cause, it becomes a movement, right? And, th and then eventually a movement, if it has undying faith in the cause, and <laughs> I'm going to get a lot of bad uh, rap for this, but a movement that has an undying, unwavering faith on the cause and won't waver for any reason. I think that becomes reason, a cult, it, right? <laughs> it becomes a cult. It becomes a religion, right? <laughs> so uh, not, not right or wrong answer here, but ultimately, what is religion? Its roots started in community, right? Mm -hmm. It started there was a figurehead that that came and exam perfect example, right? Any any religion started with one person who was the Messiah, and he had an audience. He or she had an audience, and that Messiah was ostracized because that person was going against the grain and against the leadership at the time. But nonetheless, that Messiah had an audience. Messiah passes away or something happens, the audience members start interacting with each other for the love of, of the practice. Let's call yeah. it practice. What is it? It's a community of practice, right? It's, it's what we talked about. It's, it's the idea. It's the philosophy, right? It's, it's no different than you know, learning and yearning about a specific field, for lack of a better word. Right. And then they started coming together, it became a community. Then communities started coming together to make this mainstream and it became a movement. And today now, you can't, you'll have to hold a gun to some people's head for them to waver off their beliefs. So what is it? It's, a, it's, it's religion. It's a cult. I've got, we don't have time today, but I have an entire 
um, rant I can go on about how every brand is actually like you should actually look to world religions as the example to build your brand. But again, we don't have time today to go through all that. Let's let's start our wrap up. So Lloyd, first off, where can our listeners find you? Where can they learn more about you, about Boast and about Traction? Definitely. So uh, first, uh, LinkedIn. I actually deleted all my social apps uh, in the last little while. I was very active on LinkedIn for the most because I can't you know, keep my mind on a hundred things. But as an experiment in April, um, I, I started like saying, hey, what if I delete everything that I'm active on? What other interests will I develop? So, but I'm, I'm active on LinkedIn. I use LinkedIn web, uh, website, tractionconf.io and boast.ai. And then on YouTube, just search for TractionConf. You'll see hundreds of videos from our events with tactical advice, YouTube and Apple and Spotify. Just search for TractionConf. But that's where I'm active. I wanted to tell, say one thing on that, on that point, though. What do you think is cryptocurrency? The world is crashing when it comes to crypto, but you will have to hold a gun to an enthusiast's head <laughs> to get them to waver off their belief. It is a cult. It is a religion. <laughs> that's a good point. It started with an audience. It became a community. It became a movement because they were fighting governments. And today it's a religion. That's the evolution of audience to religion. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, that's an interesting lens on it. And I think you've got a very valid point there. Lloyd, um, who is one person who you want to give a shout out to who's been helpful for you along your journey? A number of people, man. First, my mom. Um, you know, Before every meeting, before every important business meeting or decision, I call my mom and I say, pray for me. I'm not a very religious person, but she is. And I feel like the karma, I am everything I am because of the karma put out by my family. Uh, they were actually one of the early, uh, uh, earliest people that I looked to uh, for, for inspiration on community. They instilled the values of community. My mom grew up in the slums of India and she had nine siblings and Mumbai is like the New York of India. And every time I'd go there, I'd see some random stranger staying there. And I'd ask my family, my, my grandparents, like, why do you have this person staying? You barely have a place for people, uh, for your kids. And he said, hey, if you help enough people get what they want, uh, you'll get everything you want, which is, uh, he's, totally he true. phrased it something like that. And which is a popular Zig Ziglar quote, quote as well. He said, the people you help may not help you with the karma will come back. Uh, my wife, I mean, she's she's an ER physician and looked after the family for years before Boast could get to success and I could get paid. So those two people, my co-founder, Alex, who's been very, very supportive, my, my co-founder, Ray, in traction. And uh, one person who's been there for me a lot is uh, Jason Lemkin. He's been a great mentor and guide for me. Anytime I need advice, I, I reach out to him. We'll now give our top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners based on the discussion today. I'll go first, then I'll toss it to you. The topic today was mastering community-led growth. There were a lot of really helpful things that we talked about today. Uh, what I want to pinpoint is know the difference between an audience and a community. An audience is one-way communication. A community is people interacting amongst themselves without your involvement. Lloyd, top quick one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners on mastering community-led growth. I will end with what I started with. Fall in love with your customer, your audience, your tribe, and make them successful beyond your product or service. Help them get to their outcome, their destination, 
and you'll earn the karma. If you build a community, you won't become a commodity. My final question, which is how we end every episode on this show, fill in the blank, Lloyd. Entrepreneurship is blank. Entrepreneurship is jumping out of a plane while building a parachute on the way down and dealing with (laughs) all kinds of mental health issues along the way. (laughs) Entrepreneurship is jumping out of a plane while building a parachute on the way down and dealing with mental health issues along the way. He is Lloyd with all kinds of uh, all, all kinds of things breaking along the way, right? So and that's, things that's breaking the along the way. Perfect. Perfectly imperfect. He is Lloyd Lobo from Boast and Traction. Lloyd, thank you for joining today on our season finale, our season 18 finale episode of Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Thank you so much, man. Love and peace. Let me know when it's ready and we'll push it on the traction channels as well. And listeners, don't forget, we are taking a break until we launch our next season, but stay tuned because coming soon before the end of 2022, we are dropping a mixtape. That's right. We are dropping a hip hop album dedicated to the founder journey. And the name that I have landed on is Burn Rate Volume 1. So Burn Rate Volume 1, the mixtape coming soon. You can be the first to have access to the singles as they come out. And then the full album when it's ready and be the first to know by subscribing to our point of view letter at startuphypeman.com. We'll catch you soon. Thanks, everybody. That's a wrap on this one. Shout out to our guest once again for sharing their story with us. If what you heard impacted you, do one of three things. One, let our guests know. Reach out to them directly. They love hearing from you. Two, leave a rating and review on Apple. Or three, simply hit the share button and share this episode with one friend who you think would benefit from hearing it. Catch our full episode archive at startuphypeman.com slash podcast. And if you want to make your pitch not suck, reach out to us through the website. That's all for this week. We'll catch you next time. Raj Nation out. Believe the hype.